And the sermon today I'm calling the title, and don't you just love it when you get up the morning of and God gives you a different title and changes <laughs> changes changes around a little bit, but he's allowed to do that. Uh, title today, it, it, sermon's called Traffic Light. And before I go any farther, let's go ahead and pray uh, and start this off right. Lord, thank you so much for today. Lord, I do ask that you, uh, you know, bless the offering and bless this uh Pray that this time of worship has been pleasing to you, Lord, and pray that you speak through this message today. Above all else, it does what you want it to do, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, I'm going to assume, well, I guess I'm not assuming because I'm asking, making sure everybody knows what the traffic light is, right? Even, yeah, even the kids, right? Not even driving yet, but you know what a traffic light is. Red means stop. Green means go. Yellow means... Depends on who you ask. My wife laughs in the other room. Uh, it might mean slow down and yield, or it might mean speed up so you don't get caught by the red light. just depends on who you ask. I want to talk to... Well, that's such a common example. We use it for all kinds of things, right? If you're in a, your workplace and somebody says, well, this project just got the green light, what does that mean? You're going to do it. You're going to go. That's going to happen. Uh, movie industry, or you read about it, you know, entertainment, and this, well, this movie project just got a green light. Okay, means it means it's going to happen. That's a go. means it's approved. We don't necessarily say it as often, but you know if somebody refers to a red light or a stop or something, you know that's, a, that's blocked. You say they. That's not. That's not gotten the green light. Well, you know it means the opposite. You know it means that it's been blocked or stopped. Not going to happen. It's not going to go ahead. I want to talk today. What What can that mean when we look at God? Is it possible? And I know uh, my church mind would say, "Oh, it's a message on God giving us the green light or red light to do something." No not that message. This is the message of what kind of light are we giving God in our lives? Are we giving him a green light? Or are we giving him a red light? And I want to start off with asking a question, could anything stop God? God's infinite. He's all-powerful. It should be. You know, the, the Sunday school answer is, well, no, nothing can stop God. And that's true, ultimately. Nothing can ultimately stop God's plan. But, as individuals, we can miss out. We can stop what God would like to do. That's something we want to avoid. That's what we want to talk about today. So I'm going to start off, and I have a lot of scripture. I'm going to paraphrase some. Uh, I'll give you the references, but just kind of stick with me here. And just as introduction, I'm going to read Mark 6, 5. So Mark chapter 6, verse 5, and I'm going to come back to this and give it full context. But this is, a, this is just, I'm just tackling the question, could something stop God? Referring to Jesus in verse 5, he says, He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He could not do any miracles there. This is Jesus. This is, this is God. You're not supposed to be able to stop God, but he could not do any miracles there. And we're going to talk about the there and, and what happened here in a second. 
He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. How could that be possible? How could that happen? Well, I'm going to give you a little context for it. Now he's referring to his hometown of Nazareth, and we'll see in a second what, what, was, what was going on there. But I want to start off in Mark 5 now. Just move one chapter ahead of that back to Mark 5. Because there's a few examples in the Gospels of when Jesus was stopped. Mark chapter 5. It's a long passage there. He and his disciples have crossed the Sea of Galilee, and they get confronted by this demon-possessed man. And this is not just your kind of typical, well, maybe he has occasional seizures or things that they you see other accounts of demon-possessed people having certain fits or things. This guy is very demon-possessed, apparently number in the thousands. He cannot be, uh, he's, he's insane. He lives alone among the tombs. People have tried to bind him, and he just breaks the chains off. He's, he, he's manifesting as superhuman strength. He can break chains. He can, the, the people can't control him. He's, he's, it's, uh, it's, almost, it's a good thing that the demons have driven him out into a solitary area because he's so out of control. And Jesus shows up, and here is this, this squad of demons, this, ma- this massive, this man that nobody can control. And they run up to Jesus, and they start begging. They start begging for terms of surrender, because he's Jesus. He's God. He just walks up, and the man runs to him and says, don't, don't torture us. They start talking. They say, don't torture us. Don't send us to the abyss. Uh, let us go possess these pigs. Get, they they're, they're start negotiating some sort of terms of surrender because there is nothing they can do to stop Jesus. He allows them to come out of this man, possess a herd, a large herd of pigs, a couple thousand, and they run the pigs into a body of water and drown them. People are terrified. People, the witnesses are terrified. They go tell the town. The town comes out. I'm just going to read verses starting 15. When they came to Jesus, so this is the townspeople who have heard this news of what happened. They came to Jesus. They saw the man had been, who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Get out of here. Please leave. We don't want you here. We're scared. The same account is in Luke 8, and just one verse there. It says, Then all the people of the region asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The demons couldn't stop him. Didn't even try. But the people could. The people could say, We're scared. We're going to beg you to leave. And Jesus gets back on the boat and he leaves. What happened? They were afraid. Afraid of the demonic. I can understand that. They lost some of their livelihood. Somebody owned those pigs. That was livestock. But this man had terrorized them and now was totally healed. Couldn't there have been at least a little bit of gratitude? 
Like, thank you for taking care of this crazy person who's been who's been scaring us. You know, now he's fine. That's great. Could have been a little gratitude. Could there have been some opportunity to say, Jesus, we we've lost these livestock, but what do you want to do? We want to hear you minister. We want to see your provision. This is the guy that fed five thousand from a boy's lunch. Uh, can we? We want to see that happen here. No. Get out of here. We're scared. Leave. Because it did not make sense to them. That's what we do. We're scared. It doesn't make sense. Red light. Go no farther. Stop. Back again to Mark 6. What was this event that we just read at the beginning where Jesus could only do a few small miracles and he couldn't really... He couldn't do miracles. He could only lay his hands on a few people. In Mark 6, very beginning, it says Jesus left and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. So he's, he's gone back to Nazareth, his hometown. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many who heard him were amazed. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase as I go down here for, for sake of time. Where did this man get these things? Where did he get this wisdom? How is he able to perform remarkable miracles? Isn't he the carpenter? Isn't he Mary's son? His brothers live here? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Well, that's not a nice thing to have said about you. Jesus is amazed at your lack of faith. They were offended. This is Nazareth. These are Jews. They know that they're waiting for the Messiah. They've heard about him. They obviously recognize incredible wisdom. But the Messiah is not, in their minds, air quotes here, the Messiah is not allowed to look like this. He can't be somebody we know. He can't have family members living in our town. That doesn't make sense to us. Therefore, it doesn't make sense. Therefore, red light. You cannot go any farther. No God. And I heard someone point out one time, I wish I can't remember the speaker or else I'd give them credit, but they pointed out something I hadn't really thought of before. This was Nazareth. This was his hometown. His family lives here. Don't you think he they, he and his family knew sick people in town? May have known people who had been sick for years. May have eagerly wanted to heal them. Typically, you grow up in a, especially back then, you grow up in a town, you know everybody, and you, hey, there's, hey, Jesus is now released into his ministry. He could go and heal somebody that's been sick for a while, and nope. Nope, red light. Not going to happen. We're offended at you because you, we don't understand. It doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't mean our, you don't meet our expectations, so no. One more example. I want to get into the, to the uh, heart of this message. In John 6, and I find this account so fascinating. And I'm sure I've spoken, I've referred to it before. John 6, I'm just going to pick up in verse 60. John 6 is a very long chapter. Uh, verse 60, 
he, so basically to sum it up, in this section, just before verse 60, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and the Jews start demanding a sign. Hey, we want a sign. Moses gave our ancestors manna. What are you going to do? And they're asking for some sort of miraculous provision. You know, feed us. And Jesus says, starts explaining to him, I'm the bread of life, and I'm going to give you my body and my, my body to eat and my blood to drink. And that does not go over well. That is not well received. They don't understand he's speaking figuratively. Not just they, but his own disciples. At this time, he has a group of disciples, not just the 12. We talk about the 12 disciples. He had many more followers until this point. Because at this point... I'll just read verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That's quite a verse to read. This group followed, there's a group, and they're called disciples. Many of his disciples turned back, no longer followed him. Hey, you preached a message we don't understand. It doesn't make sense to us. We're not going to give you an opportunity to explain it or to learn, to teach us about it. We're just going to leave. We're going to stop following you because it didn't make sense to them. Actually referring back to verse 61, actually, Jesus actually says to them, does this offend you? They're offended by this message. How can this man give us his body to eat and his blood to drink? This is a hard teaching to accept. They stop following him. So what's the heart of this message? I'm a guy who's grown up in church his whole life, who went to Christian school or had Christian curriculum most of his education, worked at a seminary for 11 years, been a lot of church, been around a lot of church people. Seen way too many say, I'm out, I'm done. Some, some to the point of renouncing their faith, some just to the point of I'm offended and I'm leaving this church, or some I'm leaving this workplace, or I'm... I'm afraid, I'm offended, things don't look like what I expected them to look like, I'm quitting, or some form of I'm quitting, I'm leaving, red light. God, you cannot work any farther in this situation. I'm moving somewhere else. And that's often followed up by the person saying, well, God's just going to have to provide something else. He's just going to have to... He's got some other plan. He's going to have to do something else because I'm out of here. And can I share something with you? God is not our cosmic maid. He's not our cosmic janitor. You can make a mess and he does not have to clean it up. You can miss out. His ultimate plan will still work, but his his work in your life, you can you can put, give him a red light and okay. He got on the boat and left. He he left the town. Sometimes he just, sometimes he leaves. He does not leave a person. Now, hey, you've been through that and you repent. That's a diff- that's a different story. And thank God he he he's a he's a God that, that receives us when we repent. But you can make a mess and then say, well, God has to clean it up. And you, no, he doesn't. <laughs> he really doesn't. You can suffer loss. 
so? What's the counterpoint to that? How do we not end up there? I, I had kind of a whole bunch of more thoughts to share on that. Honestly, I think that point gets across pretty well. We, under, we understand, hey, I can become afraid or offended. I can walk away from a situation, and I might suffer loss. I might miss what God is going to do in my life in that area. And I've seen it a bunch of times, and I'm pretty sure, I, I bet everybody in this room has seen that happen at some point. Maybe, maybe in your own life or somebody else close to you where it said, I'm, I'm stopping what's happening here. And then there's that wondering, you may have, God may have had something for you there that would have been really good. What do all these things, these examples have in common? It didn't make sense. It didn't match my expectations. I think that's where a lot of, I would say that's where fear and offense come from is when things don't look like what you expect. I think that's all tied together. Like I expect it to look and feel a certain way, and when it doesn't, I get afraid or I get offended, and I'm going to demand some sort of change, or I'm going to leave, and then, okay. I'm going to force some sort of change, and if it's outside of God's will, well, he'll clean it up. He'll provide. Uh, he might not. Now I want to look at some examples where people did it right. When people gave God a green light, what's that look like? Because that's what we want, right? I love how the uh, almost the theme this morning, it felt like in the music, it felt like in Eddie speaking, it was his emptying yourself and God gets to do what he wants to do. Hey, that's great for this minute. That's, that's a great theme for today because that's exactly what I'm talking about. How do we give God a green light? So Matthew 15 tells us about this Canaanite woman. In verse 22, Canaanite woman, meaning she's not Jewish, she's, she's Gentile, she's not of, Jesus was sent to, as a Jewish Messiah, then salvation is available through, to the Gentiles. She, she, Canaanite woman from that vicinity, comes to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me, my daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus does not answer her, and the disciples start saying, well, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. So Jesus then responds to her and says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The Lord says, the woman comes and says, Lord, help me. He replies, it's not right to take the children's bread, toss it to the dogs. She replies, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Jesus says to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your, requ- your request is granted. Her daughter was healed at that moment. This is one of those verses where people bring up sometimes, well, if, if Jesus was... Uh, just bear with me for a second. So they, they, people will say, okay, like, uh, well, if Jesus was in our po- political system today... If Jesus was in our, you know, what would it look like? Well, if Jesus was, was running for office today, first of all, he was t- he's terribly overqualified for any sort of office. He's king of kings and lord of lords. Secondly, what would our political system do with him referring to a woman as a dog because she's of a different people group? That would be the end of any sort of political career. And yet Jesus was perfect and sinless. 
which tells you a lot about the, what, how we value things in our political system. What's so great about her faith? Could she have been afraid? She's, she's a, Gentile, a, a Gentile woman trying to get the attention of a Jewish rabbi, Messiah, and his own disciples are saying, send her away, get, get her out of here. Could she have been offended? Yeah. When you say, hey, it's not right for me to take things from the Jews or the children, and you're, you're a dog. Could have been offended. Could have been afraid. Chose not to be. Just said, doesn't, even, doesn't argue with God. Doesn't say, you're wrong for calling me this. Doesn't do any of that. Says, yes, Lord, can I, can I at least have the crumbs? Can I have, I agree with you, Lord, but can I at least have something from you? And that, that's faith. That's, I'm not afraid. I'm not getting, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be offended. I just want something from you, God. And, and God responds to that. And whatever we might think of, why did Jesus say these things? As we go through the Gospels, don't, don't we see Jesus when he said something? He's usually talking to that per, the person's heart, and he's dealing with something that is, might be the, the one thing that's blocking them from getting what they need. You know, he talks to the rich young ruler about his riches, or he talks to the, he, There's times where people come to Jesus, and he says the response, kind of like, that sounded strange, but he's really speaking to their heart what they needed to hear and what they needed an opportunity to respond to. And he says this to her, and she says, yeah, you're right, Lord, but I still want you. I still want something from you. I, I, still, need, I still need you. And there, answer. Got it. You have great faith. That's, isn't that great to hear from God, saying you have great faith? Somebody else who had great faith. Luke 7 it has the account of the centurion. This was so cool to look at. <laughs> Excuse me. This was so cool to look at. Because I've had, this, I've had the wrong idea about what that looked like. But Luke's gospel gives a really detailed account of it. The centurion never actually met Jesus face to face. I tend to picture it. I've pictured it the wrong way. Luke 7 tells us how the centurion hears about Jesus, and he sends elders from the Jews. He had a good relationship with the Jews. He had helped build their synagogue. He had this, he's a, he's a Roman centurion, he's a Gentile, but he has a very good relationship with the Jews. And he asked the Jews to go on his behalf and speak to Jesus about healing his, his, uh, his servant. And they plead, the, the Jewish leaders plead with Jesus and say, this man, is he loves our country, he helped build our synagogue. And Jesus starts to go with them to his house to go meet the centurion. And the centurion sends friends of his to meet them as they're coming. So there's Jesus and there's a group of Jews, his disciples, a group of Jews, they're coming to meet the centurion. The centurion sends out friends ahead of time, says, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. Just speak the word, my servant will be healed. I'm a man under authority. I tell servant to go, and he goes. I tell this servant, do this, he does it. And Jesus is amazed, because what he's saying is, I recognize that you have authority. You don't have to come under my roof. You don't have to. I understand you can just say a word, and my servant will be healed, because I understand how authority works. 
What's Jesus' response? In verse 9, he says, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. He marveled at the centurion. Turning to the crowd that followed him, he says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Jesus marvels at this centurion's faith. He's not, he's not even, you could kind of, perhaps he's kind of converted to Judaism in some way, or he's at least honoring Judaism, but he's, he's, he's a Gentile. He's not, even, he's not even of the house of Israel, but he understands. I'm going to say that would go against a lot of, peop, a lot of expectations. A lot of expectations would be, this healer, well, he needs to come, and there's going to be this amazing miracle, and that's how it should look. That's how, that's how we would expect it. And, and the centurion's just like, no, you, you don't even have to come here. You could just say something. You can just speak. He's like, I, I, I understand authority. You just, you just say it. You don't have to put on a show for me. You don't have to show up, and it doesn't have to be this big thing. You just, I get how you, I, you just do what you do. And it'll work. I love that's fantastic. And that's the kind of faith that Jesus says, I marvel at that. Haven't found that in Israel. One more reference, the, the woman at the well, and I don't actually have verses for you, but just I want to compare. He teaches in the synagogue about being the bread of life, and a bunch of his disciples leave him. He meets a woman at the well. Uh, and tells her about the water of life, and she doesn't leave offended. She she keeps asking questions until she realizes he's the Messiah, and she starts evangelizing people, going around, come see this man. Look at those differences. This doesn't make sense. We reject it. This doesn't make sense. I'm gonna I'm gonna listen and wait, and and until I realize, until I get it, and I'm gonna go evangelize. So what does this all mean? And I'll go ahead if the yeah, Ryan, whenever you're ready, and bring the team up, you can start bringing it up because I'm I've got one more section I want to revisit though. Back to that very thing, those the disciples heard this message and were offended. What was different about the twelve? Because the twelve didn't leave. Why didn't they leave? Well, John six, chapter six, verse sixty six says, from this time many of his disciples turned back, no longer followed him. Then it continues. I'm glad it continues. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So he turns to the twelve and are you going to leave too? And Simon speaks up. Not too much of a surprise that Simon speaks up. He seems to be the first guy to do the talking, right? He's a little—he's kind of the assertive one. He says, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. We have come to believe, know that you're the Holy One of God. You know what doesn't say there? It does not say that the twelve understood what he was preaching. They didn't get it either. We don't get it either, but we're staying. It doesn't make sense, but we're staying. It doesn't look like we expect, but we're still here. Because you're the Holy One of God, and you get to do things the way you want to do them. 
and we follow you. And that's how it works. And this is the challenge this morning. Here's given a lot of examples, and now I've got to ask the question, who are we? We've got fearful people that were on the, other sea of Gal- on the other side of the Sea of Galilee that said, get out of our town, get out of our region, we're afraid. It doesn't look like what we think it should look like. you got offended people in Nazareth saying, I can't be the Messiah. It doesn't look like what it looked, what it was supposed to look like. We're offended. You have the disciples that left. All, all, it always refers to being offended or being afraid. And it's something that the, the just, ah, it, does, it doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't look that like it should. And I'll tell you, I know, I have known throughout my life, friends, family, coworkers, whatever, people who, who have experienced this, who have said, that doesn't look like what I think it should look like. I'm out of there. Or have, tell, have told me times about why they left their other past church and just thinking, if that's, if that's how you do things, you'll never find a church you're happy with. Left their past workplace. And it's like, if that's, and they tell you why, and go, if that's, if that's, if you demand that God meets your expectations like that, you're going to spend your whole life chasing your expectations and never find it. You're, you're going to go place to place. You're going to always be chasing your expectations. And God was never obligated to meet those in the first place. The question is, are you going to give him a red light? You've got to stop until, I, until I'm satisfied. Or you can give him a green light and say, you get to do things the way you want. I'm just your, I'm your follower. And that's what the Canaanite woman, the centurion, the woman at the well. Fascinating that these are not people from Israel. And I would submit the hard part that Israel had is they had a whole lot of expectations built up of what the Messiah was supposed to look like, supposed to do. And I would submit a lot of church people today have the same issue. Any of us could. It apply to any of us. Well, when God moves, it's going to look like this and this and this. Well, church should look like this and this and this. My my life, my relationships, my workplace should look like this and this and this. And if they don't, I'm going to get upset. I'm going to get offended. And I'm going to, I'm going to do something about it. And it, that might mean that I put up a red light for God. And you can't work in that area anymore. And God works in ways of, he'll allow us to be offended so that he can work that offense out of us. And he'll allow us to be afraid so he can build some faith into us. He does that. It's part of his work. And I'll close with this. I hear all the time, well, faith is, you know, you trust God when life doesn't make sense. That's a nice phrase. But can I offer this? Faith is trusting God when God doesn't make sense. <laughs> That's what a lot, of, a lot of these people, it wasn't life that wasn't making sense. They didn't run Jesus away because life didn't make sense. They ran Jesus away because he didn't make sense to them. He said, you get, they're like, you get out of here, you don't make sense. I'm gonna, I was going to suggest today, faith is that, God, I trust you even when you don't make sense. That's what, that's what I want to leave you with today. Let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Let's worship. And if anybody needs prayer for anything, I would be happy to pray with you. 
uh, elders will join me and pray with you, and we'd be happy to do that. But let's let's close with with this prayer and, and to enter in a time of worship. Lord, thank you so much. Lord, help us to trust you when you don't make sense to us. And Lord, we are we are so small compared to you. That's going to happen a lot. Lord, all of our steps following you are always with incomplete knowledge and require faith and require trusting in you, Lord. That's a lifestyle for us, Lord. Help us to walk in that. Thank you, Lord, for this word. I pray, Lord, those listening to this recording, those here today, you you reach out, you minister to, to them, Lord. I pray, Lord, anybody here who doesn't know you or who needs prayer today, Lord, that we are that we minister, you minister through us to them today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. trust God as long as things make sense. And that's not walking by faith. That's walking by sight. Faith is when you're beyond that point. Where, nope, it doesn't make sense, but I'm still going to trust God. Let's close in the word. Okay. Eddie's got something to share. Quick. But uh, I don't know. Does anybody here know what happened to Legion after that? Anybody ever studied that? It's only a couple of chapters later that you see Jesus return to the area Legion was at. And when he walks into that area, they come running to him. The only one who was saved in that area was Legion. That was the only person saved. So if anything ever didn't make sense... Jesus left him in the darkest area he could be in because that area that he was at that was actually where people who didn't want to follow the law were sent to in the tomb area and they were sent there and that was like your outcast that was your your uh, I mean they were rebels they were really rebelling against God and that's why they were in that area and Jesus whenever he saved Legion Legion said I want to go with you and he said no you stay here and I can't imagine how that looked could have easily said, oh, this ain't the guy I thought he was. But he didn't. He stayed there, and the next time we see Jesus return to the area, they come running to him. So Legion, obviously, something major happened in Legion's life. And I don't know if it was just by action or if it was the words he spoke, but I don't know. Sounds like he gave a green light to God. to me. Let's, let's close on a 
Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much. Lord, help us to give green lights to you every day in our lives and not shut areas off from you, not put up blockades for you, for you Lord. Help us to give the green light to what you want to do through us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.